ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode numero eight of the Three and Out podcast. Brett Shobbs, Michael Cicchetti, Benjamin Robert Pope. We're ready to rock and roll, boys, and uh, I believe this has to be brought up first. Some some sad news in the good old casino state of Nevada. The Vegas Raiders. John Gruden himself has resigned as head coach of the Raiders after a slew of emails that revealed some pretty nasty things as part of the investigation with the Washington football team. So he's no longer head coach. It'll be the interim coach, Rich Bisaccia, taking over. Um, what are our initial thoughts on Gruden being you know, no longer in Vegas? And he's been stripped of a couple other things, too, we'll get into in a few minutes. I feel like it was coming. Yeah. I'm kind of glad he took initiative and left immediately just to not – he quoted that he didn't want to be a distraction to the team. Even though he did say this and he did leave as soon as possible, I mean, that's going to be the storyline throughout that team and organization the rest of the year. The players won't want to hear about it, but they're going to get asked about it by the media, especially Derek Carr, Carl Nassib when he gets back. But, I mean, it was coming. There's no excuse for that, and I'm sure, sad to say, but I think this might just be tip of the iceberg when it comes to stuff like this around the league. Yeah, so I'll just talk about it from the Raiders' perspective here first. So a 3-2 and two team, they're coming off a tough loss this past week against the Bears, and I'll be honest, like Gruden was one of the things that was really keeping him in the playoff race, at least from my perspective, his coaching and everything, so... With him taking a step back, and they'll have an interim head coach uh, coming in, as you mentioned. I think it's going to be tough, obviously. It's it's going to be tough for them to adjust to uh, having a new leader in that clubhouse. Uh, really depends on what Derek Carr and some of the veteran players are able to uh, kind of step up and do, uh, just taking leadership roles in the franchise uh, just for the foreseeable future. But, yeah, it's going to be tough for them to really – adapt to this especially in a really tough division in the AFC West yeah so as I alluded to as well he's been removed from a couple other things he was actually taken out of the Buccaneers ring of honor this of course many people know that he was the Super Bowl winning coach in the Buccaneers first Super Bowl in the early 2000s he was actually also taken out of Madden they revealed it this afternoon wow. that John Gruden's uh, image and animation along the sidelines will be taken out and will be replaced with a generic likeness similar to what Bill Belichick uses for the Patriots. So the Raiders no longer have a quote-unquote face head coach in Madden. Um, Bill Belichick? Bill Belichick is do you not mean, in Madden. Do you mean Griffin Murphy? What? That's that's the coach they use in Madden for the Patriots. See, I was unaware of that. Griffin Murphy. Moving on. Next. So we'll jump right into overreactions. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. All right, so let's get into our overreaction segment here on 3 Now Podcast for this episode. We're essentially going to be talking about statements or things that have been going around the NFL that either people are overreacting about, such as, you know, we'll get into it earlier, teams pretty garbage when, as of right now, but not, no need to worry about them, or players not doing well because they're hurt or they're underperforming. It's basically just hitting the panic button a little too early on a statement or a conversation. So we'll get into it. I guess we'll start off with the first one here. I think it's the most obvious one. The Chiefs, mm-hmm. they're sitting at 2-3 and three right now. 
through five weeks. Took another loss this past week against Buffalo. Very tough outing so far from Kansas City and Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes, all those guys. Who is to blame for what's going on in KC right now, and will they turn it around? They're facing, as is this recording, the football team in week six. I'll take a pause for a second. What's like all the reaction here? I have it. I have that, but it's kind of like in question form, if you want to go with mine. My question was, will the Chiefs um, decline last year of the season, or will they pick it up eventually? I interpret it as like, we were going to give a statement and say if it was an overreaction. Overreaction. Okay. 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 So so we'll go with the statement here. Yes. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs, are they really not that good? Is Kansas City not good this year? That's a crazy statement. I mean, the Chiefs offense has some of the best, most prolific players on the team. The defense has never been anything special. They've always been a below-average defense with Patrick Mahomes at the forefront of the team. I I still haven't lost faith in the Chiefs yet, despite some big losses being at 2-3. and three. But they are going against tough competition. I think this just shows how much better the rest of the NFL is getting, and they're getting to the Chiefs level. They're starting to learn how to control the offense and slow them down. The Bills did a great job against Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. I I think it's kind of an overreaction. I mean, the Chiefs are still going to be a playoff team, and as long as they have that offense, in my opinion, they will be a Super Bowl threat. Yeah, I think it's an overreaction to say they're not good anymore. I understand that. Honestly, it might be in the Chargers' favor to be the favorite in that division right now. Uh, but the Chiefs are still very much a top-ten team in the NFL. Like, Just doing like rankings earlier today, it was hard for me to not put the Chiefs uh, in the top ten just because like, you know their ceiling is way higher than most franchises yeah. in the league right now. And even at their worst, like, they can still put up 25, 30 points against any defense out there. So really – Regardless of what's going on, Mahomes has six interceptions, which is, I believe, actually third in the league, which is crazy uh, after not throwing any interceptions in his career in September. Uh, but in the defense, obviously, you mentioned it, Mike, uh, just absolutely struggling on both sides of the ball, the run defense and the pass defense. Uh, I still have confidence in the Chiefs and the weapons that they possess, and they still have very good playmakers on both sides of the ball, so... It's really hard for me to not uh, consider them still uh, decent enough to make playoff run. And what you said kind of uh, sparked interest to me in putting up points. I looked up their points per game average. Kansas City is averaging 30.8 points per game offensively, which is good for fifth best in the league. They still have the offense. It's just a matter of the defense getting into the groove of things and figuring things out. That's all it is. They've also had some really big competition, too. Baltimore, Buffalo, playing these big-time teams. Um, L.A. as well, the Chargers. So they haven't necessarily had it the easiest route, but at the same time, if they're supposedly one of the top three teams in this league, they they should put up a dogfight and win one, maybe two out of those three games. Yeah. But even if you look at these are all within – 
I mean, besides Buffalo, the other two losses are within one possession. The Baltimore game they lost came with uh, Edwards-Alaire fumble. Yep. So it's all close games besides last week, but we'll we'll talk about Buffalo a little later on anyways. But, yep. yeah, I think that's an overreaction. Mike, over to – oh, Ben, go ahead. All right, so my overreaction statement for you guys, and you'll be reacting to this. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, currently the last undefeated team in the NFL. Arizona is the best team in the NFC. Is that an overstatement or not? I'll take this one. I would say that's an overstatement. I really like Arizona. I think they are legit. Just experience-wise, I'm not super confident in them. I would personally take the Bucks over them. I would take the Rams over them when it comes to the long run. I know they beat the Rams just two weeks ago. But just in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to the playoffs, I would take those two teams and maybe even... I don't know. Yeah, I would for sure take those two teams. The Packers? I don't know. Packers offense over Arizona. Just experience-wise, I I just think they're young. That's all it is, especially Kyler. I do like that team a lot, though. And I think they could surprise some people when it comes to the playoffs, though. But at this point, I wouldn't say they are the best team in the NFC. Uh, I'm also going to say it's an overstatement. Um, I mentioned last episode that I originally thought they were going to be favorites in the Super Bowl. Taking a grand scheme of things again, I still think they have a legitimate shot, top three chance to really get in there and compete for the Super Bowl. Um, you still have the Rams and the Bucks to compete with. Even the Packers starting to really figure things out now. So for me, it's all about, like Mike said, experience um, in big-time situations. And I'd rather have someone like Arians and Brady mix, Stafford and McVay, Rodgers and... Matt LaFleur. Yeah. I'd rather have those combinations than Kingsbury and Kyler that haven't really gotten much experience deep into the playoffs and don't understand those big game situations yet. So for me, it's all about what they're going to do in the long run. And if they do make the playoffs, how will they handle it going up against top tier teams? So I think I'll approach this question maybe in a different manner. Uh, I don't think it's an overstatement. Um, I think that Arizona has played games pretty pretty well and pretty able to pretty well able to adjust their game script. You saw it last week against the 49ers. They were playing a, de- a defensive head game between uh, Kyle Shanahan and uh, Cliff Kingsbury and their both of their defenses really stepped up. 17 to 10 contests playing against Trey Lance in his first NFL start. Kyler Murray did not have it. Uh, is dealing with a shoulder injury right now at practice, so that's something to keep monitor on this week, but um, They've been in shootouts. They beat uh, the Jaguars in a shootout, the Rams in a shootout, the Vikings in a shootout, and the Titans in a blowout. Um, While I do agree and understand where you guys are coming from, that maybe their lack of experience, as Mike mentioned, um, might hinder them in the playoffs. I think right now, I think they're as good as any other team in the NFC. Maybe when it comes to the playoffs, we'll definitely see if their lack of experience does come to bite them right now, but... If we're talking right now, who is the best team in the NFC? Even without their five and zero record, I'd still say Arizona would be my pick because my former pick, the Rams, they got mollywopped by the Cardinals and by the transitive property. I'll give it to Arizona. Fair enough. That's fair. Yeah. Mike, you ready for mine? Let's hear it. Mine. We are sticking with the NFC West. 
Russell Wilson, as we know, out with his thumb injury, or his finger, actually. I think it's his index finger. Out four to eight weeks. The Seahawks have allowed 450-plus yards of total offense in four straight games. They've given up, which I believe currently, let me just double-check, they are the worst defense in the league. They are giving up 450.8 yards per game, also giving up an average of 25.2 points per game. Is Seattle done for the season? Um, I'm going to say they're not done for the season, but they're in big trouble. Um, I think part of the big reason why Seattle was still a contender is Russell Wilson was able to generate an offense where they can produce high-quality schematical points and sort of cover up or camouflage the poor quality of the defense. And now that you have Geno Smith at QB, you sort of have to rework your entire offense around what Geno Smith's capable to do, which we don't even know if he's able to make those deep throws that Russell Wilson can on an accurate and consistent basis. I mean, the majority of that Seattle offense is based around giving the deep ball to Lockett, giving Metcalf ability to have that ball down the stretch and really work with open room. You don't know what Geno Smith's going to do. I guarantee you you're going to see a lot of checkdown situations to Chris Carson, Alex Collins. You're going to see a lot more Gerald Everett in this offense. So for me, I don't think this offense can keep up with the amount of points the defense is going to let up, and I think that's going to cause a lot of trouble for the Seahawks. So I'll also say that's uh, not an overreaction, that they are done. Uh, and it's actually for a different reason that Brett mentioned. The Geno Smith thing is big. Um, I don't think he's actually going to be too big of a detriment just because kind of the teams that they're playing in this stretch, I believe it's like Pittsburgh, the Saints, the Jaguars, like teams uh-huh. that are like mediocre melodies. And Geno Smith did admirable, at least in my opinion, against the Rams in the <clears throat> quarter and a half that he did play. Uh, my bigger concern is uh, actually when Russ comes back, uh, their lack of using him in the past game, his pass attempts have been under 30 or in the 25 to 30 range pretty much all of his starts this season even before his injury and obviously that's not working out to the best of the effect they were two and two coming into that game against the rams and them using uh their run offense more heavily uh with chris carson travis homer uh, alex collins all those guys uh while it was working to get scores it wasn't pushing the ball down the field like I think uh, they imagined and a perfect example of this is Dallas Dallas they're able to push the ball down the field with their run offense but has a strong pass pass offense to back it up Seattle run offense even though it usually has a good tendency along with it has not been that great this year and them backing up with Russ only passing 20 to 25 times in a game that's not going to help the offense survive. And especially when the defense is as bad as Mike mentioned, I don't think with teams like the Niners, the Cardinals, and the Rams in your own division, it's all teams in the NFC, I don't think they'll be able to survive until week 17. So I'm going to say that Seattle is done with this Russell Wilson injury. Kind of to add a part two to this, there's been rumors the past year or two of Russell Wilson requesting a trade at some point. Do we think that's coming sooner than later? I think with this injury, it's definitely delayed. Um, But I think it's going to be soon. 
I want to piggyback off of Ben's point. Russell Wilson is the leader of this team. He's the benefacto, the guy that this team beats around. If you're limiting his ability in the offense, and like Ben mentioned, under 30 pass attempts a game, it just it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So if they're going to limit his abilities on offense to really work and generate his own play calling, then I don't see why he'd want to stay in there. I think Pete Carroll's a great coach, but I'm thinking that the one-two combination of them two together is starting to slowly but surely decay. Thank you. Ben? It's your turn. I get another one. I can go I, again. I guess I'm going. Um, okay. So, for my next overreaction, and I think this kind of comes into play, especially with their uh, Week 5 game against the Los Angeles Chargers, I want to talk about the Browns. And we've talked about the Browns a couple of times and uh, just kind of the limitations that I believe that they present. So, uh, my overstatement uh, right here is Baker Mayfield is the reason that the Cleveland Browns will not make it to the Super Bowl this year. Is that an overstatement or not? <clears throat> Baker Mayfield is the reason that the Cleveland Browns cannot make it to the Super Bowl this year. Okay, so this is super tough for me. With Baker, because I mentioned even last week how Baker Mayfield, with the help from Ben, thank you, Ben, that Baker Mayfield, I don't know if I can trust him with that team. The team in, on paper is beautiful. The defense, beautiful. JOK, oh, he's fitting so nicely into that defense. The offense, they have the pieces. Baker Mayfield, I like. I don't know if I can trust him. Who I can trust is Stefanski. Now, my question, my follow-up question to that is, does Baker Mayfield have the ability to basically fulfill what Stefanski wants? And at this point, I can't really say yes or no. To answer your question, though, the other teams in the AFC, I would take over Cleveland when it comes to playoffs. So, to answer... just my question is... Yes. If the Browns aren't going to make the Super Bowl, okay. is Baker Mayfield the reason? If the Browns don't make the Super Bowl, is Baker Mayfield the reason? Yes. That's the question. As of this moment? As of this moment. I would have to say so. All I needed to hear. Brett? I'm actually going to say it's an overstatement. I think it's a little bit of a lot of different things. Um... Is Baker Mayfield underperforming to what Kevin Stefanski wants him to? Yes, I agree with that. There are also some things that I haven't been super happy with with the Browns with lately. Um, part of which is you have three damn tight ends and only one of them is being used, which aggravates me. You have Harrison Bryant. You have Austin Hooper, who you signed to a pretty chunk, of, pretty good chunk of change, who is not getting anything from the Browns' offense. And you have Najoku. Now... Listen, Najoku's been doing a lot more than what people thought he was going to. He's finally getting the reps in offense that, you know, he's been begging for. But he's getting there. But off that side tangent, I think it's not just Baker Mayfield. I think it's going to be a combined effort of Baker, some underutilization of some different elements, and 
the defense as well. Obviously, we saw a complete shootout between the Browns and the Chargers. If you're going up against big-time target guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you've got to be able to step up and create tighter one-on-one coverage. Troy Hill, Joe Johnson, Denzel Ward have to step up and make those big-time plays in those kinds of situations when you're in a shootout and lock down that one-on-one coverage. But in my eyes, I don't think it's just Baker. Is he underperforming? Yeah. You look, you're giving me a strange look. Joe Johnson? John Johnson? John Johnson, Ow. sorry. I always say Joe. I Okay. John Johnson. That slipped my mind. I got caught off by that. Anything else? Yeah. Ready for my overreaction? Yes, sir. All right, my next overreaction, we're going back to the NFC with this one. The Cowboys are a legit Super Bowl threat. That's not an overreaction. I'll take this one. It's not an overreaction. So Dallas, Gian's a Philly fan. He's in our room right now. He's listening, and he's shaking his head. You actually know it's true. Uh, They mollywopped you guys. Um, So the big thing with Dallas, uh, at least for me, um, coming into this year was, do I trust their defense, and do I trust Mike McCarthy? One of those things I still don't have full confidence in, and it's not their defense. Trayvon Diggs, Micah Parsons, they've had some amazing playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, They've been, I believe they have two interceptions in each of their first five games. Uh, Trayvon Diggs is responsible for six of those. Wow. But uh, that's beside the point. Still getting turnovers uh, really well on offense. This run offense has been as good. Uh, very close to Cleveland. Cleveland's very much the best run offense in the league, but Dallas is actually second in run yards. Uh, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott have been a dynamic duo. They've really taken a stride uh, week three on, uh, especially since uh, the Chargers game where their offense kind of stutter-stepped against L.A. Um, they honestly could be 5-0 and right now, aside from a little bit of a sloppy play uh, in the fourth quarter against Tampa. But this team, man, they're, they're really playing over my expectations. My still one concern is that I don't think Mike McCarthy uh, can lead them to a Super Bowl. I don't think he's a good head coach. Uh, I think that any of the mistakes that they have made uh, thus far in the season have been his responsibility. Uh, so I have really big concerns there. But uh, just the strides that they made on defense, the run offense has improved significantly. Zeke is back. Dak is back. The pass offense has done what they've needed to do. So, no, it's not an overreaction. I do think they're a very much Super Bowl uh, contender. You want to go? Yeah. Hold on. Before you go, I want to talk about digs after. But go ahead. Yeah, I'll I'll just give my two cents really quick. I'm on the same mindset as Ben. They're, They're for real. They're legit. The biggest thing that stands out to me, and I've mentioned this time and time again, is the defense. Bringing in Dan Campbell from Atlanta was probably the smartest thing they could have done in the offseason. I like the win. What's that? Dan Quinn. Why do I keep saying weird names? You're good. Hey, that's not a weird name. You're good. Dan Quinn from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Thank you. His scheme in utilizing the players that they brought in from the draft and from the offseason, I just really like the way they're playing. They're utilizing Micah Parsons both on the line and as a linebacker, which is what he was known for as a prospect at Penn State. He can play both ways. 
And the fact that they're utilizing him on both sides of that football is perfect, and it's working out. They're seeing progress. I'll just highlight Trevon Diggs before you go into it. He's, he has the most interceptions out of anyone in the NFL right now. Very, very productive out of Trevon Diggs. Candidate for depoy right now. We'll see where he goes with it as the season continues, but I very much like this Cowboys team. Okay, Trevon Diggs. We know he leads the league in picks, has won a game. Ben, I think I talked to Brett about this a little earlier. Ben, do you know the opposite side of Trevon Diggs? It is a, it's a bit of a surprising thing. Okay, you, you look confused, so I will read this to you. Because when I read this, I was like, oh, interesting. So, Trevon Diggs, we know he's been great interceptions-wise. Trevon Diggs is also on pace to be the worst coverage cornerback in the PFF era since 2006. Diggs has allowed two, 329 yards through the air this season, which averages to about 65 per game. This puts Diggs on pace to allow 1,119 yards in a 17-game season. That would be the most ever given up by a cornerback since 2006. How many yards again? Say it one more time. About 65 yards per game he's given up. Why does that not sound terrible, though? I'm surprised by that because, like... He covered DJ Moore this week. DJ Moore had his worst week of the season by far. He covered Mike Williams in week two against the Chargers. He was pretty much shut down for the most part. I'm assuming he covered Evans in week one and he got shut down. So I'm a little surprised by that, but that's very interesting. It is. I know he struggled last year with uh, yards per game as well, but yeah, that's very interesting. It's definitely interesting to look at because he does have big playability, but just looking at it, what you want out of a cornerback is great coverage. And as of this point, Trevon Diggs is the worst coverage corner. And it's he's currently the fourth worst coverage corner in the league. Or he's given up the fourth most receiving yards this season. Super interesting to think about. That's weird, yeah. Should we move into the wheel? Move into it. Move into it. Sure. Let's do it. No, All do right. me a favor. Look, before you get into the wheel, do me a favor, Brett. Move into the wheel. All right, we'll move it. We'll move into the wheel. Move into it. This is the three and out wheel, new pot, new podcast segment here, fellas. Here's how it's gonna work. I have a wheel generated right here with ten discussion topics regarding the NFL, range from team, specific player, debates on who should start over who. We don't know what's gonna happen. We randomly spin and pick five questions, one at a time. And we'll talk about them. Beautiful. I like Peace that. Posh. Yes, sir. That's good. Here we go. Our first question. Do me a favor. Spin that wheel for me, Bredathan. Ooh, I've been dying to get this one. All right, let's hear it. All right, so this is a bit of an interesting one. We're heading over to Gion's squad with the, with the birds, the eagles. Should Kenneth Gainwell be the feature back over Miles Sanders in Philly? <laughs> ben, go Ben. I like Ben's face. Um, no. <laughs> There's an argument. There's an argument because Miles Sanders has been very rarely used the past like two or three weeks, as they've really had a pass-heavy <laughs> scheme, and Jalen Hurts has done most of the rushing. Like Gainwell's been used out of the backfield because they've been in like 
two score deficits. So they've been using Gainwell, who's a better pass catcher. Um, yeah, Miles Sanders is a first-round talent. He's still a very good running back. He just hasn't been utilized like that. But, yeah, he's very much the better running back than Gainwell. Before you go, Mike, I'll just put the, the statistics, out, statistics out there. Sanders this season, 48 attempts on the ground, 214 yards. He's averaging 4.5 yards per carry. He's also got 100 yards receiving, 111 yards receiving on 16 catches, averaging just under 7 per reception. Gainwell has 21 attempts on the ground, so almost um, half of what Sanders has done for 100 yards, averaging 4.8 yards per carry. Receiving-wise, 14 catches, 122 yards. He's averaging almost 9 yards per reception. So, what do you think? I think those stats are perfect. Keep keep Kenny G as a passing back and let Miles Sanders be the feature back. I agree with Ben. Okay, so Miles Sanders over Kenneth Gainwell is our decision. Next question. <laughs> these, are be, these, are, these are some interesting ones. Oh, oh yeah. For sure. Interesting. Eh? <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting one. A strange one. That's a strange one. All right. Next one. Next one's over in Foxborough with the Patriots. Mr. Alex Green is ready for this one. So, in regards our cornerback room, is J.C. Jackson a quote-unquote Ely corner this season? No. No. Okay, I want to talk about the cornerback room for a minute. Trading Stephon Gilmore was not a smart decision. JC JC Jackson is uh, probably the best number two corner in the NFL. He was last season. Was. 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 His stats as the number one corner when Gilmore missed, I want to say, four or five games last season, were not good. JC Jackson, I like him as a cornerback. What scares me? is that I he's very unproven against wide receiver ones. And he hasn't really gone up against big talent this season. Mike Evans, he did a good job containing him. Besides that, he ha- we really haven't gotten to the digs and the Dallas and the Chargers once we get there. Cleveland. How is he going to do against them as a number one corner? Also, outside of J.C. Jackson, the Patriots don't have a- another viable outside corner. They have Jonathan Jones, who plays in the slot. They have Jalen Mills, who Philly moved to safety because he was so bad at cornerback. They have Jawan Williams, who is, they barely even play him. And then Sean Wade, who they traded from Baltimore, who was just drafted this year, who got absolutely cooked by D. Smitty in the natty, who basically played in the slot at Ohio State. It scares me that they don't really have a true number one corner on their team. Um, so, no, J.C. Jackson is not an elite cornerback. Elite number two corner? Absolutely. I'd put him cream of the crop. Elite number one corner? Doug, you're going to have to look down the list. You're a weirdo. <laughs> um, yeah, J.C. Jackson is not an elite cornerback. He wasn't last year. He certainly isn't this year. The only number one type receiver that he's faced thus far is Mike Evans. Brennan Cooks, I'll give you respect, Doggy, but 
you're not the number one guy, uh, number one type guy. I think this will be his first challenge this upcoming week because he'll yeah. have Amari Cooper uh, drawn. But so far he's had, like, Corey Davis, uh, Marquez Calloway, like, no one, like, too spectacular. Right. Um, and Evans and Cooks, obviously. Um, so he hasn't, like, been truly tested. But even against Evans, he went 7 for 75, which nothing, like, amazing, but still very solid for him. Uh, I think you mentioned it perfectly that uh, he was kind of carried by the fact that Gilmore was there. So he wasn't being uh, kind of shadowing the number one guy. And when he shadowed the number one guy when Gilmore was out, like you mentioned, not great. Uh, Jalen Mills has been playing corner two. Uh, he was out last week against the Texans. And Davis Mills shredded the secondary. So J.C. Jackson had a great year with interceptions uh, in 2020, 2021, but he is not an elite corner, not by any means, uh, even though he is a very solid player and does deserve some money in the future. So just to put some context before we wrap this one up, by Athlon Sports, J.C. Jackson is rated number three. PFF, they rated J.C. Jackson number 16 going into 2021. So he's still rated pretty high, but... I'm also going to have to agree with both of you that J.C. is still very unproven and is not in quote-unquote elite corner. Just wait until just wait until the end of the season when he goes up against his big talent. Then he is great. Oh, yeah. The big boys. The big boys. Question numero trace. <laughs> All right. To Kansas City. How much longer is the leash for defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo? The defense has obviously not been good at all this season. Do they fire him midway through, or do they keep him the entirety of the way? I don't think they fire him. He had a really good defense the previous year. He's also missing a decent amount of like his defensive pieces. Like they're they are missing like a couple guys. Am I mistaken on that? I feel like Chris Jones. Chris missed Jones has a handful been, of games. Chris Jones has been out. I know Tyron Matthew missed a couple games. Like yep. Frank Clark has missed time. Thank you, Andrew. Um, and they he surfaced a very good defense, a top twelve defense last season. So just because of their struggles through five weeks, I'm not going to say that I get fired if this continues. Maybe it's a possibility, but I don't really see it happening. He's been over there for a few years now, and I think he has the trust of ownership over there and Andy Reid as well. So I think it's just improvement on the player side of things. Mike, same thing? Yeah, I agree. All right. Question four. See what it is. That's the same thing. All right. Bit of a different one. To Tennessee. Ooh, Benny. Is it time to take Julio Jones out of the top receiver conversation? No. <laughs> it is not. Julio Jones has been dealing with an injury. And he has all of last season... But I want to say even last season, before he was injured, he was on pace for, oh, don't quote me on this, over a 1,000. He was on pace for something, um, some high high level. He was on pace for, like, 90 catches for 1,600 yards and, like, 12 touchdowns. Thank you, yes. It was absurd. Yes. Then he got injured, and even this season, he hasn't been fully healthy. 
Julio Jones is one of those guys you just can never count out. I know he's getting older, but I mean, I'm still taking him over a handful, handful of receivers around the league. Ben? Yeah, there might be like enough people like on my first fingers that I I take over Julio Jones. And I think it's mostly to do with, you mentioned the hamstring injury that he's dealt with for a couple weeks now, but it's also the offense. I think we all overestimated just the way that Mike Vrabel in Tennessee would use them. Uh, I guess Arthur Smith was uh, kind of one of the reasons that they were having such a successful offense uh, the past couple of seasons because they haven't been as dynamic. Yeah, They had a really good week last week, but it was mainly through Derrick Henry. The past game was not uh, anything too spectacular. A.J. Brown made his, made his comeback, but on a snap count, we'll have to see what happens there. But I think Julio Jones, um, it's not his fault that he hasn't put up the great numbers between the injury um, and just the offense that he's working on. I guess if you want to say that just because of the injuries he's dealt with the past couple seasons, maybe he's not a number one type receiver then, but it's still Julio Jones. It's hard to uh, dismiss him over just a couple fluky injuries where when he's been on the field, especially in a, a pass-heavy offense like he was in Atlanta, he was a clear number one. He was a successful offensive player, and that was in an offense with Calvin Ridley. So I think him and A.J. Brown being healthy, it's likely that they're both going to be playing this week, and it's going to be in a tough game against Buffalo. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them get uh, six to eight targets and have really successful bounce-back games. All right. Last question. I technically have two questions. One of them we'll, we'll just pull off the wheel after, but we'll see. Do, 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 do. It's like All a right. game show. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo. Does Dawson Knox's success continue for the rest of the season, or are these past three games flukes? I'll say it continues. Like, yeah. I think he's the number three option right now. Yes. It would probably be Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, and then Knox. Cole Beasley has not been involved yeah. in the past like, three weeks or so. As of this point, he had yeah, high right. target shares in the first couple weeks, but he's kind of been eliminated from the offense. I have him on fantasy, so I know. Um, but Knox has been unbelievable. Uh, he's been a very good touchdown uh, red zone threat for Josh Allen mm-hmm. the past couple seasons. And this season, I believe he has four or five touchdowns so far. He's been connecting on long pass drives, so a lot of 20-plus yard uh, receptions for Knox. Uh, He isn't getting an elite target share or anything, but with Stephon Diggs putting up mediocre melodies numbers right now and Emmanuel Sanders kind of being the red zone threat, uh, Dawson Knox has been a little bit of both. And I don't know. I think Josh Allen likes his tight ends. He's utilized them well over the past couple seasons, and Knox uh, in his third full season seems to – be taking that next step in the Buffalo offense. Yeah, I agree. I think Dawson Knox's success will continue. Josh Allen seems to like him as a target. As he's been mentioned, he's been a red zone threat. Yeah, I agree with Benjamin. All right, so we're moving to the last one here. I'll pull this one off the wheel. Pull it off for me. Here, do me a favor. Before you pull it off, Brett, do me a favor. Pull it off I'll for me. I'll pull it off for you. Here we go. Pulling it off. I read this earlier, and it kind of kind of brought some questioning to the to my thoughts. Antonio Brown. We'll focus on him for a couple minutes. 
Get a whole lot of money. 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 What's going on? Wow. Whole lot of money. I just got home from the N.O. Sean Payton talking about the ditto. Ah, my fault. I'm a big A.B. fan. Wow. All right. Antonio Brown. Obviously, facts, some context to what sort of happened to A.B. in the past year and a half, almost two years. In Pittsburgh, basically said and begged, I want out. I'm going to keep it a buck with you, dog. That's garbage. It is That's hot trash. garbage. That's hot trash. But Oh, oh a little money. Get all. My fault, bro. Go ahead. You're good. Give context. He was in Pittsburgh. Begged for himself to get traded. Got traded to Buffalo at first. That fell apart. Then went to Vegas. Basically had a bunch of issues there. Finally got cut from Vegas. Picked up by New England. After one game, they cut him. Left for a while to deal with a bunch of legal issues from the league. Finally got picked up by Tampa Bay nearly a season later and won a Super Bowl with the Bucs. Since Antonio Brown has hopped from team to team, there's been some things pointed out that maybe Antonio Brown was actually right for leaving. Uh, Steelers and Juju Smith-Schuster, Ben Roethlisberger starting to fall apart in the offense. A lot more locker room issues than just Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. Then you go to Vegas. Things with John Gruden are starting to arise. Some things going on in the Vegas locker room. Is Antonio Brown still known for being absolutely psycho? Or is he actually onto something and picked out stuff early on and people just thought it was Antonio Brown? Oh, he's a psychopath. He's a a crazy man. I mean, to answer the question, I feel like it's too early to tell. Things will come out eventually about Pittsburgh and Vegas. I, I think it's too early to tell at this point. I love AB, but he's a... He's a strange individual. He's, he's a strange individual. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. just say it up front. Like, he's been charged with serious allegations and yeah. stuff. And he is not in a straight mental case. Oh, yeah. 100%. We don't know what he is right now, but, like, the Pittsburgh stuff, maybe that's a thing, but... The Vegas stuff is coming out two years after. I guarantee you knew nothing about what was going on with John Gruden. Talking about New England, like Tom Brady left. That's why they stink now, and they haven't been like. I don't think it has a lot to do with New England. It's more the Vegas and Pittsburgh side. Okay. Um, No, I think AB is just a complete wild card, and he's making it work right now in Tampa Bay. So. All right, that that'll wrap up the wheel. Let's move into our. Final segment of every podcast, our good old stand sessions. And for this one, should we spin a wheel to decide who goes first? A lot of wheels in this podcast, Brett. Oh, absolutely. Big wheel guy. Big wheel guy. Let's, big let's, wheel guy. let's roll right into the wheel. So we'll add... a big Hot Wheels guy. I actually was a big Hot Wheels guy growing up, believe it or not. That was my favorite thing, besides my Thomas the Trains. Thomas the Tank Engine? Thomas the Train, Thomas the Tank Engine, Potato, Tomato. What? <laughs> what? I am a Thomas Stan. Brett, are you a, I'm a are you James a, Stan. Brett, are you a Wheel Stan? Man. I'm a Toby Stan. 
Here we go. I am a Sir Topham Hat stan. You're causing confusion and delays, sir. <laughs> ben, you've been chosen to go first. Take it away. <laughs> hey, Gion, you want to look? Is I am a Jalen Hurts stan. Ooh. I think this is the second time he's picked Jalen Hurts. Oh, yeah. Hurts. It is probably the second time I've picked Jalen Hurts. Because he make made an improbable comeback against the Carolina Panthers this past week. And, well, Mike and I are a little disappointed about that. I'm happy with my boy. Yeah. Jalen Hurts, after not playing remotely well in the first half of that ball game, kind of came back out of nowhere. Sam Darnold was struggling against the uh, secondary for the Eagles, and Jalen Hurts kind of took advantage of it, had a couple drives, able to end it with his own rushing score, um, taken away from Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell. Um, but Jalen Hurts, I don't know, man. I think he's earning his due. This is another week where, like, even in a blowout, or it wasn't even a blowout considered, but he's just come back into ball games, never really given up. Even in the Dallas game, he put up a couple scores after they were down by, like, two or three scores. And understandably so, like, he somewhat put them in the situation. But I think with better pieces around him, this kid is a legit quarterback. And I'm I'm honestly a big fan of him. I think that it might be a Lamar Jackson, a Josh Allen situation where he kind of needs to grow in the league a little bit and get some support around him. But I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan. I am a Jalen Hurts stand for week five. Mike. Why are you shaking your head? No. You're in the corner like, you're stupid. I agree. He is stupid. Yeah, Carson is better than Jalen. He has a worse record, dummy, but a better team. Wow. I had a hard schedule. Tell me when you play the Seahawks and the Rams back-to-back weeks. You're a Carson Wentz stand? Yeah, I am. Give me a hug. Too bad he stinks. Carson Wentz does blow. Mike, go ahead. You know who I'm not a fan of? Carson Wentz ankles. Mm. I am a Gregory Rousseau stand. Ooh. We were talking about Dude's him earlier. Hell. Gregory Rousseau was the 31st pick, question mark, for Buffalo in the NFL draft. Gregory Rousseau, before he opted out last season at the U, was a projected. He was talked about as the best defensive player coming into the draft he opted out then things started coming out about how he is a very raw prospect so he fell to the later first round I figure I had him going to the last pick to the Bucks, just to establish defense have him in there I thought he was going to come in here and there and that's exactly how people thought he would be in Buffalo come in here be a situational lineman at first he's been he's been lighting it up they are starting him on the line he had one sack and a pick against Pat Mahomes against that offense, and he has been a beautiful, nice, young, bright spot in the number one ranked Buffalo defense. So, with that being said, I am a Gregory Rousseau stan. I like that. My first one. <clears throat> I'm a Mike Dub Williams stan. Been a, been a big fan of Mike Williams this season. Had eight catches, 165 yards, and two touchdowns against Cleveland. Went berserk on the Cleveland secondary. Was left wide open a few times. But Mike Williams has sort of really stepped in this season and provided numbers that L.A. drafted him for in the first round a few years ago out of Clemson. 
So now you have Keenan Allen and a legitimate 1A, 1B situation with Mike Williams. And th- this is going to be <sighs> really, I think it's going to be fantastic going forward for LA. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is Mike Williams is in a contract year. And before the season, the Chargers knew they weren't going to resign him. He's. What do you I do be- now? That's that's the thing. He's I believe he's fifth in receiving yards, and he's been a big part of that offense for Justin Herbert. They're going to be in a pickle. They might have to resign him. He's arguably been the number one over Keenan Allen. He just was because targeting... of the depth of target that he's provided. Sixteen Correct. targets from Herbert last week. Sixteen. Six. Not a. Hey, not fifteen. Not fourteen. Not eighteen. Not seventeen. Sixteen. Six. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be in quite the dill pickle at the end of the season. Not a big kosher guy. Not a big pickle guy in general. You're stupid for that. Well, Gian's stupid for not liking Jalen Hurts. I think you're stupid for not liking pickles. I'm a big cute guy. I like cukes. Fair enough. I'm not a fan of you for calling them cukes. We'll move on. <laughs> I'll eat a cute raw dog. I'll keep it in the same game. This is a duo here. Ooh. I'm a fans. I'm a I'm a stan. Wait for the music. Moneybag. Ooh, okay. So I'm going to stay in the same game. I actually have a little bit of a duo here. Duo of pass catchers. I'm a stan of David Njoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones. How do I know Peoples-Jones? What? Came up here? Mike gives me a little bit of a weird look, but he's like Njoku it. earlier. I yeah, like but it. you were like, like oh, he gets used in a weird way. He gets used perfectly fine, Bredethin. <laughs> Seven for 149 wow. in arguably the biggest game of his young career. He's been a little bit injury prone with Baker Shaky Mayfield. But baby. those two have a weird connection because it works so well in some games. And then it's completely eliminated in others. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, 5 for 70 in this game. Guys... With Jarvis Landry out on IR and Odell Beckham Jr., that's he's not really doing much. He had three targets, two for 20. These two are the guys in that pass offense that Baker Mayfield should be able to rely on and takes a little bit of that pressure off Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And they did really well this week. Obviously, they weren't able to come away with the dub, but David Njoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones... Two guys that I'm big stands of. I like that. And DPJ's have been a nice nice little bright spot in that offense as well. Yeah, for sure. He's been the deep threat kind of there for a while now. And Joku had a 71-yard uh, touchdown catch. And Donovan Peoples-Jones had a 42-yarder. So, yeah, some big receptions for both of them. All right, Michael Eor, Segunda stand. All right. Y'all know I'm going with the GOAT. I am a Lamar Jackson stan. I knew this was going to happen, and I love it. Oh, my God. Lamar Jackson. What can the haters say now? Please, here, riddle me this. Riddle me this. What can the haters say now? Everything that people said Lamar can't do, he's done. And Baltimore sitting at 4-1, and one, their only loss coming week one in OT. Or was it week two? I don't know. It was against Vegas. Either way. Lamar Jackson coming back from a 22 to 3 deficit and they won 31 to 25. Lamar, 
442 passing yards, 62 rushing yards, and four passing touchdowns. I just want, I just want to read something slight, something slight. Did fumble on the goal line. Well, look, Ben, you know, you're not helping my case here. Listen, listen to this, ready? Oh, no worries. In 2021 this season, Lamar Jackson has 1,860 total yards. That is more total yards than... <clears throat> clear my throat for this one, dog. <clears throat> Atlanta, Carolina, Cincinnati, Denver, Detroit, Indy, Chicago, Houston, Miami, New England, the Jets, Seattle, Washington, San Fran, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, and Jacksonville. That's a lot of teams. That's impressive. Andrew, pipe down. Keep going, Mike. Lamar Jackson just doing everything people said he can't. He's just been super, super impressive. And he might be. I know. I I mean, I I know it's kind of it's kind of like whoa at this point, but. I feel like, in general, Lamar Jackson might be the... I'm not saying he is the MVP, but I'm saying he might be one of the most valuable players to his team, which does qualify as the MVP. It'll be interesting. Very fair. Been very valuable to Baltimore. All right, my last stand. it's It's not a player. It's most certainly not a kicker. I know, I know. I'm a fan of, I'm a stan of the San Francisco defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans. Riddle me this and hear me out. Oh, Lord. <laughs> hear me out. Ben mentioned this earlier. Their last game against Arizona was a very big defensive matchup between both sides. Caleb Murray was pretty much taken out from what he usually produces from what we've seen earlier on in the season. Primarily of which, if you watch the reel, deep ball was taken away from Kyle Murray. Lots of low check down situations, lots of short throws down the middle. Yes, he was dealing with the shoulder injury, which is 100% recognizable. Still, you have to give credit somewhat to San Francisco because Kyler did throw the ball deep a few times. His longest was 33 yards to Rondell Moore, and you got to give Rondell Moore credit on that catch. He made the Beautiful tiptoe on the sideline, so it's credit to him for making that happen. But Kyler had his lowest yards per yards per catch. Yo, was the lowest long pass was 33 yards. It was the lowest uh, longest pass he's ever made this season. Lowest pass yards of the season, and his second lowest completion percentage of the season this far. So obviously the shoulder had a factor, but I think you have to give credit to San Fran for stepping up and playing some good defense defense against the Cards. You say that, and I'm going to add, add this. Ben's rookie shout-out for Week 5 goes out to Kadarius Tony and Rondell Moore with unbelievable catches in their games. Back to you, Brett. Thank you for the brief message there, Mr. Pope. Ben, where could Kadarius Tony go to college? Florida. Where did Rondell Moore go to college? Purdue. Oh, my God. I love it. Am I right on both? Yes. Yeah, he is, yeah, he is right. I, stu- I studied the class this year. Is I'm it Kadarius Tony or Kadarius Tooney? I've heard it oh, both ways. Tony. I've heard Tooney a few times, too. I've not heard anyone say Tooney. <laughs> you were thinking of the Chiefs all-pro caliber guard. Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney. Tooney. There you go. 
And you're a loony toony for thinking his name is Toony Dog. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. That's going to wrap it up for episode number eight here on the Three and Out podcast. Honorable mention for my stands goes out to Nick Folk, our AFC And we're going to end it here. Thank you guys for listening in here at, for, I almost said first and goal, uh, <laughs> three and out. Uh, Ooh, too soon, too soon. Hey, yeah. Brett, question. Where did Jacoby Brissett go to college? Couldn't tell you. We didn't ask that, Gian. Wow, why are you so harsh to Gian? Then why did you say it, Andrew? Riddle me this. Hey, no abuse here on Three and Out Podcast. You, Benjamin. Wow. No, he did not go to Alex Ohio Green. State. Just get your head out. He of did, it. although Andrew's I guess you have the closest guess because he did go to a state. He went to South Dakota State. He did not. State? Jacoby Brissett went to NC State. I would not have thought that. Go pack, go. Wolf pack. All right, that's going to wrap it up for... High school, by the way. So cool. It is. He went to where did Where did Kenneth Gainwell right. go to college? Memphis. <laughs> he did get that right. That's going to wrap it up for episode number eight of the 3 and Out podcast. As always, B. Shoves, M. Chiquetti, BRP, signing off for now. We'll see you next week on episode number nine.